This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning, we're going to talk about something that's, that's very important. Uh, it, and this is probably a lesson that you've heard before, but I think it's good to re, uh, revisit this periodically. This morning, we're going to talk about the, the idea of transformation. Um, it, is, it is something that God calls us to do as Christians. If you notice in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the church and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we know that the scriptures call us to be conformed to Christ and live a life that is one of transformation. And we might be very sincere about this in our desire to follow Christ, but sometimes the, the, the trouble that we run into and the, the frustration that we face is understanding how to transform our lives. We get stuck with, with the how, I think, sometimes, and we might go on for years, flailing around, struggling, not really growing, and, and, and we feel maybe frustrated, maybe we feel times of hopelessness because we feel like things are never going to change in my life. I'm not going to experience real lasting change, and I'm no closer to God than when I began in Christ. That's a, that's a real way that people feel, and I have felt that way myself uh, and still find myself feeling that way in moments and, and in time, in stretches of time, and it's a natural part of, of our growth as Christians, um, but we need to know how we ought to change, how we ought to transform, and there is a process that the Scriptures give us um, so that we won't find ourselves over time, we look up and doing the same things, going to the same places, being around the same people, being the same person that we always have been, because God wants us to change into something more. That's the, the call to action as a Christian. That's the duty that we have. That's the, the journey that God puts us on when we come into Christ, is growing and changing into something new and something better and something that's worthwhile, uh, some, someone being uh, worth being, rather, and that is in Christ. So as I looked around in the scriptures, I, I came across a psalm, and we're, we're going to read what, what King David writes in this heartfelt plea and, and this prayer to God in this time of, of sin that he had committed. Notice what he says here in Psalm chapter 119. He says, Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments I have laid before me. I have stuck to thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. What I realized as I read through this is that there is a process that is laid out here, and you can really kind of overlay this onto Romans chapter 12 when Paul calls us to be transformed in our lives and, and renewing of our minds and proving what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. If you kind of uh, overlay these on, on top of each other, you can see that, that uh, he was trying to break beyond a sinful habit, and here there's a process laid out for us. First of all, he says, I have chosen the way of truth. He made a choice. And that's where it really begins, by making a choice. He says, I have sought thy knowledge. Grant me thy law, and I shall keep thy way. 
not only did he say, grant me thy knowledge, grant me thy law, teach me thy way, he says, teach me and I will do it. There's action implied and, and involved in, in gaining of the knowledge. And then there's a commitment. He says, if, if you show me this, I will do this, I will keep it with my whole heart. There is a level of commitment required in this process. But here's the process that's laid out, and this is the process of transformation. And there may be more steps, there may be more things we can kind of zoom into and see, but if we boil it down to some basic parts, something that's easy for us to remember and grasp, here's the basic model that the scriptures teach us when we're making a change in our life. And if we remember this and employ this, uh, it, it will help us to, to grow. And so we begin by looking at making a choice. This is really where it all begins, the entire process. Our choices will dictate the actions we take on a daily basis. And, and we're making thousands of choices each day from the moment we wake up, we get around, we're making our routine. Some of it is on autopilot, so we don't even think about the choices we're making um, sometimes. And some things are just automatic and they're already decided, but, but we're making choice after choice after choice each day in our lives. And over time, those actions that we're taking become habits. And those habits will develop into our character. And that's who we are. When we step back and look at ourselves, we can look at all the actions and the choices we make, and that is our character. But the very first step in changing that, if we know that there is a sinful habit, we know that there is, a, there is something detrimental to our lives, is by choosing to do something different. Um, and I think it's very, very important for us to understand that, it, that we have the power to choose what path we're on. Um, because it can feel very frustrating. And I've, and I've definitely been there. It can be very discouraging to feel stuck in, this, in the cycle, in a vicious cycle. And you, you're, just, you're just flailing around. You're failing. You feel like a failure. And, and the more you try, the more you fail, the harder you try, the harder it feels like things are, are getting. Um, and then you just feel like giving up if you stay stuck in this, in, this, in this state. You just feel like giving up. And the truth is, that's right where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to feel so trapped to think that there is no other alternative but to stay right where you are. There's no alternative. And it's hopeless to even try to escape. And we might try to find ways to cope with, with being in this position and being in this state. If, if we've just dealt with something for so long, we just try to get normal. We just try to make it normal. We try to get really comfortable with it. And we start to make excuses for ourselves. And we say, well, I just can't overcome this. It's not possible for me to stop doing this. Or we try to just accept and, and blame it on a personality trait and say, this is just who I am. Yes, we all struggle with different types of things, but we might, we might try to accept it in that way and say, this is just who I am. Or we try to shift the blame to some, somewhere else and we point it back to God and say, this is the way God made me. And really, when you look at those excuses and any other number of excuses we could make along those same lines, really what it boils down to, what we're saying is, there is no alternative but to commit sin and to stay stuck in that, in that position. And the truth is, that is not the truth. <laughs> that is not the only option we have. There is another option on the table. Satan doesn't want you to believe that there is another choice. Uh, but thankfully, is, the truth is that we always have a choice. There is an alternative. 
Paul wrote to the church in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, know ye not? He says, don't you know this? That to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul says, don't you know and realize that the things that you do are because of a choice that you make. You can either choose to be the servant of sin or you can choose to be the servant of righteousness. And so if we feel stuck, really that's the, the we need to get real humble and, and real awake, I guess, and, and aware and realize that it's because of a choice that we've made that, that we're in this position. And there's, and there's no one else to blame. There's no other finger to point. Um, if you re- recall Miguel's uh, sermon, his first sermon that he did just here not too long ago, it was all around that idea. Taking responsibility for our own actions, taking responsibility for ourselves, not pointing the finger anywhere else, but saying it is because of a choice that I have made. And, and the choices we make will make us servants to, to either righteousness or to sin. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the, the in- introductory text that we read, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but instead, that right there reveals that there is a choice. There is an alternative to the path of living in sin and living in that darkness. Don't do this, but instead choose to be conformed to Christ. And in Psalm 119, again, he says, remove from me the way of lying. I choose the way of righteousness. And so the, the reality is we have the power to make a choice, and that freedom will never be taken away from us. It is always within our power to make a decision on what to do. And there is no sin that we commit that is not because we've chosen to. We can say no. <clears throat> do you remember the story of the prodigal son? This guy, this, this young man wanted his inheritance from his father. And he said, Father, give me all of my inheritance. And so his father, he says, okay, here's all the money and all the, the wealth that I was going to leave you, and, and here's your inheritance. And what does this young man do in Luke chapter 15? He goes and he squanders it. And, you know, the closest, uh, the closest illustration I think we could have is this, this kid took all his money and he went to Vegas, and he just blew all his money and gambled it away and and was living it up with, with the harlots and, and having a grand old time, and he wasted his substance, it says, and he squandered it totally and, and went into that far country. He got down to the point that he was, he was so impoverished. Now, think about this. This is Jesus relating this story to Jewish people who hate, uh, who have been taught, and, and, and it is the law that, that pigs are unclean and, and Eating pork is unclean. It's an unclean meat and will make you unholy. And so here in this parable, he relates the fact that this, this young man got down to such a low, dark level that he was crawling around in the pig pens, hoping that he could eat what the pigs were eating. This was detestable. This is, his, this is a way of Jesus showing how detestable the state of this young man was. And he was stuck. It, the, the parable doesn't tell us how long he was stuck in that far country, how long he was wallowing around in the mire with the pigs, how long he was hungering and starving. And that's the problem. The world will leave you that way and leave you in that state. It'll leave you totally empty. You can go squander all of your substance. You can go sell all of your holiness. You can go look Look for all the pleasures of this life, and at the end of the day, you will be empty. And you will wonder, you will wonder, what am, what am, what am I doing? 
what am I getting out of this? And it'll leave you for some, hungering for something better. And in his lowest, darkest point, in this most degrading job that, that this, this young man could have, had no food, no money, no one to help, what does he do? He realizes that he has one valuable thing, and he uses that. That's his power to choose because he didn't have to stay stuck there. In Luke 15, verse 17 and 18, it says, when he came to himself. Doesn't that feel so refreshing? He's, he's just in this dark pit, and it feels hopeless, and there's no light, and all of a sudden, there is. He came to himself, and he realizes something. He says, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. You see the choice he made right there? Right then and there, he made a choice that he's not going to stay stuck any longer. He had reached a point where he was sick and tired of being sick and tired and decided. He came to himself and said, my father's servants have more than enough food. I'm going to get up and go back to my father. And so he makes the decision to go and do that. All it took was him making up his mind. He didn't have to stay stuck there, and neither do we. And that's what the Bible wants us to know. That's what God wants us to realize, that we have the we have the ability to choose and he wants us to wake up. Romans chapter 13 says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. When we're living in that state, it's like we're, we're asleep and we're unaware because that's what you're like when you're asleep. You don't know what's going on in, around you and your surroundings. You're just totally out of it. Uh, I get, I'm a heavy sleeper and, and if the baby's crying or the house is on fire, I would probably sleep right through it. Uh, Lana gets frustrated with that sometimes, how quickly I can fall asleep and how, how deep of a sleep I can get into. And when I'm in that state, I don't know what's going on around me. And so think about that. If spiritually speaking and, and consciously speaking, if you're stuck in sin, it's like you're asleep. You don't know what's going on, and God wants you to wake up. Wake up out of the sleep. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The nighttime's over. It's daytime. It's time to wake up. It's time to get to work. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and in envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Paul encourages the church to wake up out of sleep. It's time to put off. It's time to make a choice. It's time to make a decision wake up and realize that we have the power to do this. We, that sin is not the only option. He wants us to choose the path of righteousness. This is the entire purpose of God sending the scriptures and sending His Son. In Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Do you see the two choices that we have? Sin is not the only option. And God wants us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and instead live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And this is what God has always wanted from His people. In, in, this goes way back to the way we were created to be in holiness. When we look at the creation of Adam and Eve in the garden, to be representatives of God. And it goes back to the Exodus when Moses led the people out of Egypt. And when God led the people out of Egypt uh, by Moses' hand and Moses delivers the law to him, he says something very striking in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The, the whole context is really interesting, but if you look at uh, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record 
this day against you, that I have set before you life and death. These are the choices that you have. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that, that both thou and thy seed may live. And the way he put life before them was giving them the commandments of God that they should follow, so that they might prosper, they might live, so that they might be free. But this is what God has always wanted us for, from us. Choose life. Choose, make a decision to follow after righteousness. Jesus said this also in John 15, verse 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The reason God wants us to have these commandments is to serve Him so that our joy will be full. Not that we are left empty and hungering like the world will leave you, but He wants to fill us up. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us peace. And it's not something that's easy. It's not something that's easy at all because the choice you make could end a relationship. It could cause you to have to be distant from your family. The choice you make, you will lose friends. It will cost you everything to follow our Lord and King. But it's absolutely worth it. The path of sin will bring us shame and ultimately death. But, but God's path will bring us to life and ultimately eternal life. Romans chapter 8 Verse 5 and 6, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to feel whole? You want to feel complete? You want to feel full? You want to feel like you have uh, joy in your life? Make a choice to not be stuck in sin. It all begins with making a choice. And the second part of that process is knowledge. Because it doesn't end there. You can't just decide that you want to change your life. You have to know what to do. And that's where knowledge comes in. We have to grow in knowledge. Romans chapter 12, remember it says, Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. In Psalm 119 it says, Teach me the way. Teach me the way of your statutes. Help me to know and, and learn your words. So how is our mind renewed? Well, it's renewed by, because of the knowledge of God's word. And this is something He's given to us so that we can clearly... So he wants us to wake up. He wants the light of His Word to light our path so that we can see very clearly and be set free from sin. Remember the Psalms. It, he, David wrote, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet. It guides us. It, it shows us the way. It enlightens us. Um, he wrote and talked about His people perishing. They were dying because they lacked knowledge in Hosea uh, chapter 4, verse 6, I believe. Or is it 6, verse 4? Uh, it's one of those. Uh, but he, <laughs> he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So if we don't have knowledge, we, it will lead us to, to perish. The knowledge of God has the power to transform us, and this is the very reason that He sent Christ in order that we can be free through this knowledge. Acts 26, verse 18, He sent Christ to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus, speaking of the reason He came into this world, says, God sent me to free you. God sent me to free all people, turn them from, free them from the darkness, to bring them the light, to, to open their eyes. And this is the knowledge God wants us to gain. And this is how we renew our minds in knowledge, by taking on the new man, which is Jesus, 
we've put on the new man, it says in Colossians 3, verse 10, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Jesus is the template, and Jesus is the model that we look to. And when you look at that word renew, that, that word renewing, uh, if you look at the Greek definitions, it means to renovate. And we know what renovations are. If we, if we were going to remodel this little kitchen area here in the building, and we wanted to renovate that, what would we do? We would rip out the, ca the current cabinetry that's there. We might break this, some of these walls. We're taking something out, and then we're putting something new in. And that's the entire concept of, of the scriptures. Taking out the old things in our mind, the old actions and the old life, and we're putting something better in. We're getting a major upgrade <laughs> if, we, if we use Christ as the template and Christ as the model, and we fill our lives with that. We should be taking out the knowledge of sin and be replacing it with the knowledge of Christ. And again, He's the model. He, he is how we will know what to make our lives look like. But if we don't know anything about Christ, we will not know how to, to craft our lives and to shape our lives. Because that's, that's what we're doing. We're, sh we're shaping our lives. We're fashioning our lives according to His Word. And we need the knowledge to do that. First Peter gives us this imagery in, in chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation and, and conduct is what that means. No matter in your way of life, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Jesus is the model that we should be, we, be following, and the imagery that we have here is one of, of this piece of material that's being crafted. And he says, don't use the old template of your life. Don't use your old habits as, as a way to try to make your life new and fashion your life. Just imagine somebody with these graving, engraving tools, like a hammer and a chisel, just banging away at this piece of material and you're forming this image. Don't model it after your old template. Don't use the old blueprint of your life. Use the new blueprint. What is that? Jesus. Uh, it's, it's God. It's the scriptures. It's Christ. As he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. We use the knowledge of the scriptures and we chisel away at our lives to form something better. And, and ultimately, what we're doing is conforming to the image of Christ, just like it said in Romans chapter 12. But it has to come from, his, from the knowledge. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 says, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the model we want to follow, and it comes from, again, the knowledge of His Word. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. According as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what we have with the Scriptures. Everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue. That's Jesus. Through the knowledge of Christ, we have everything we need to fashion and model our lives after true righteousness and true holiness and we can be full, and we can have our joy full, and we can have true, lasting change in our lives if we latch on to this knowledge. 
And he says, through Christ, we are given to us exceeding great and precious promises so that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That is the holiness of God. He doesn't want us to be uh, corrupt, as he says, having escaped the corruption that is in the knowledge or that is in the world through lust. He doesn't want us to be corrupt and fashioned after our old ignorant ways in sin. He wants us to take on the divine nature, his righteousness, his holiness. But we need to know and study his word in order to, to know what to do right? So we need to make the choice, and we need to have the knowledge now to know what to do. In Proverbs chapter 2, it describes to us the process of gaining that knowledge, and, and this highlights to us that it is not easy. And I wouldn't dare stand before you and tell you that it's just so easy, and it's so simple. Just read the Bible, and your life, is, you're just going to grow in knowledge, and it's going to be, you need to study. You need to study and put in the work and put in the effort, and it's, it's like training, and you're going to practice, and you're practicing, and you're training, and you're working, and it takes time, and it takes effort, and you need to, to schedule and have a routine and, and build these things into your life, and, and I'm not perfect at that by any means, and it's hard. It really is, but notice the amount of effort it takes. He says, my son, if you will receive my words, hide my commandments with thee, so that you will incline your ear to wisdom and apply your, your heart to understanding. Yea, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, if you search for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou find the knowledge or the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There's seven things that he mentions there. Seven or eight things. There's actions on our part. We have to receive. We hide it. We hear it. We search for it. We apply our heart. It takes a lot of work and effort to study. And again, it's not something that is easy but it is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely worth it for our lives. But it's not enough for us to just make the decision. It's not enough for us to go to the Scriptures and read about the holiness that we ought to live after. We need to do something with that information. You can't just hold that information in your mind. You need to take action. And that's the next part of the process. Take action. Do something with the Scriptures. Do something with, with the information that you've received. Romans chapter 12 says, prove the word of God. There's action there implied. Uh, Psalm 119 says, teach me your ways, I shall keep your law. And so these phrases show us that there is action involved. And something for us to know is that knowledge, we can have all the knowledge in, of the scriptures that, that there is to have. But if we have no actions to accompany that, that's sinful. That's actually sinful. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if we know everything there is to know about the Scriptures, but never actually apply it, that's sinful because we're not doing what we know we ought to do. That's what God wants us to do. Not just know it, but do it. And on the flip side, is also true. If we're just excited, we're fired up, and we're just... We're gung-ho, we want to make these changes, and we're going to start just making all these decisions and all these changes, and we're taking action, but what's not built on a foundation of knowledge, that's actually sinful too. Romans chapter 10, verse 2 through 3, Paul talked about this with the Israelites. They were so zealous for God, and they were out there doing all these things and persecuting these people and trying to de destroy the church and arresting all these folks and, and trying to... They were doing all these things that seemed like they were so great and, and zealous for God, but... Paul says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So we need, our actions need to be tempered with the knowledge of God's word. But it's not enough to have the knowledge. It actually has to lead to us doing something. So exercise the knowledge that we receive. Uh, That's the best way to make this renewing of, of the spirit of our mind stick. By learning it, by doing it, by learning it and doing it and repeating that process. Um, we have to do something with the information. That's the, the main consistent message of the scriptures. James chapter 1, 22 through 25. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The Bible gives us a very clear imagery about what it's like to study the word of God. It's like a mirror that really shows us how sinful we are. It shows us exactly what we are. And that's all, that's all it can do. When, when sinful people look into the Word of God, all it can do is expose us and show us what we really look like. The Bible says if we do this, if we're studying and we see there is an issue, it's kind of like going and standing in front of an actual mirror and we look at ourselves and, and say, oh, my tie's not straight. Oh, there's toothpaste on my face. Oh, my hair's messed up. And you walk away from that mirror, and you immediately forget about all these issues. You immediately forget about all these problems. You even forget what kind of per- what you look like. And that's what happens when you don't take action when you study the Scriptures. God wants us to go to His Word, be totally exposed, and know the things we ought to change, and then do something about it. And if we do then we will be blessed in our work. We will be blessed in our actions if, if we take action according to His Word. Don't just hear the Scriptures. Go and do something with the Scriptures in your life. That's what God wants from us. And as we gain knowledge and we practice and we repeat the process, you're going to see yourself growing. You're going to see your life changing. And it's, it's incredible the short amount of time it can take for your life to really just transform. You can go, if you really put the time and effort into it, you'll look up and in two months, you're going to feel, you're going to look back and say, wow, I can really notice a, a, a difference. In six months, in a year, I mean, I've gone through that experience and I've, I've talked to other Christians who are new to the faith and after a year or two, they look back and think, I'm a totally different person. And the reason is because they're studying and they're learning and they're growing and they're applying the scriptures and You just repeat this cycle over and over again, and you're going to grow. Don't let the the process of transformation be intimidating to you, because it doesn't have to be, and God doesn't want it to be. But know that it does take time, and it does take work. 2 Peter 1, 5-11, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What, a, what an incredible promise that we have there. If you do these things, you will never fall. And that is taking the time to add knowledge and temperance and godliness and patience and all the things that are listed there to your life, working on these qualities constantly, and it will help you to be fruitful. You will not be barren. You will be full of good fruits. You will be full of growth and, and growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise that the Scriptures gives us. It's a guarantee. If we put in the effort, we will grow. And, and I'll tell you honestly, chances are you might not get it right the first time. And it scares us to say this sometimes, but it needs to be said, it's okay. That is okay. Practice will not make you perfect, but practice will make you a lot better. And it will lead to growth. And you need to grow in maturity. Don't get frustrated with yourself too much. Not so much that you want to give up, but just keep going and keep learning and keep growing, keep getting the scriptures and keep trying and applying it to your life. It's a process of maturity. Hebrews chapter 5, 13 through 14 relates it this way. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And it's like a little baby. When you're first new in the faith, you're like a little baby. And, and when you're first learning to eat, it's awkward. And, you know, Elena is, is about six months old now, and she's learning. She's starting to, she's barely learning how to grab onto things, but she's not getting it right. She drops things and fumbles around, and it's awkward, and it's clumsy. And that's how it is when we're first brand new to the faith. We're clumsy with the scriptures. We don't really know how to handle the sword. We don't really know how to handle the Word of God. We're unskillful in the Word. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, full maturity, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It shows us a very clear process of growth here in maturity. Just like that baby learns to eat, eventually, eventually Elena is going to learn how to grab onto things better and move on from from milk and, and uh, baby food up to steaks and more hard foods, carrots and things as she develops and grows teeth, she'll be able to eat more solid foods. And that's the idea of the scriptures. As you grow in handling the skill of the, of the scriptures, you will be able to hand more sol handle more solid and solid, more difficult concepts, and you will grow in your knowledge. And it's going to be awkward at first, and it's going to be clumsy at first, but as you repeat the process, you are going to mature and you are going to get better. It, it is this life as a Christian is just a process of maturity and growth. As you learn it, you do it, and you just keep repeating that. And what we need to know, the last part of this process is committed, is commitment. Stay committed to this process. Don't give up. Romans chapter 12 says we are a living sacrifice. This is something that is perpetual. This is something that is continuing. This is something that is ongoing. It is long-term. We're in it for life. Psalm chapter 119 says, I shall keep it with my whole heart. There's the idea of commitment related to us in these, in these introductory texts. 
And think about it this way. It's just like making a garden. It really takes time to see the, to, to see the product of all the effort that you put in, all the time that you go out there to de-weed or to water or to, 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 to uh, uh, till the ground and do all the things that, that, re that is required when you're, when you're growing a garden. It just takes time. You're not going to plant a seed and go out there the next day and find fruit. You're not going to go out there the next day if you plant potatoes and see a, a potato plant that's fully mature and ready and you've got potatoes to, to, to pluck off there and you're ready to go eat. That's just not how it works. And it's just not how it works in our lives as Christians. It takes time. And that is okay. It's a lifelong process when you're learning and you're doing and you're growing in righteousness. Jesus compared it to building a tower. Now, you, you think today it's, it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around why, it would, why Jesus would use this illustration of building this, because today a Walmart can be put up in two or three weeks, and things are fast, and construction is fast. Houses are built quick, relatively speaking. But in Jesus' time, in those days and, and further back, it took a long time to build something, especially something of any, any scale. And so he talks, about, he talks about a tower. Just to give us a point of reference on how long things took, now this was a, the, Solomon, the Temple of Solomon, and it was a magnificent temple and huge, so it would have taken a lot of time. But notice he says in John chapter 2, verse 20, Then said the Jews, Forty-six years was his temple in building. Jesus came along and said, destroy this temple, I'll build it in three days. They're like, what? You're crazy. You can't build this temple in three days. It took 46 years to build this temple. That's a long time to build something. So knowing that point of reference, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after they have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. This is the commitment that it takes for us. We need to sit down and think about very intentionally, do we have the time, do we have the effort, do we have the will to complete this project? And when we enter in life into Christ, we need to take that very seriously. And he says if we don't bear his cross and come after him, we can't be his disciple. And he relates it to building that tower. Do you have the commitment to see it through. I hope that you do, and, and Christ hopes that you do. Because if you start and you give up, it will be a mockery. And there's a very poignant example of this, real-life example. Uh, back in 2010, I think, there was a, a group of people that got together and said, we're going to make ourselves a 13th century French castle. That's over, uh, it, they called it the Ozark Medieval Fortress Project. And it was over in Lead Hill, Arkansas. And that started in 2010. And this is a real-life example of what Jesus is saying here because after two years, it closed down. They didn't have the funds to finish it. They didn't have the ability to, to continue on. And now the ruins just sit there. And it was a mockery. It was a financial failure. It was supposed to be this great big thing and this great tourist attraction and... Now it's nothing. It's just sitting there. And that's exactly what it's like if we decide we're going we're gonna to be a Christian, we're going to follow God, we're going to transform our lives, and then we just kind of fizzle out and give up. Then we're just 
a, a pile of rubble sitting there. Remnants of what could have been. We could have been looking like the image of Christ, but instead we're just a pile of material that is unformed and we've given up on. It's grown old and grown stale. And it's a mockery. Following Christ is an all-in venture. It takes calculated and intentional effort to spend your life transforming into His image. And, and I want to make this clear because the world, and, and even more so today, and worldly churches want you to think that it is so easy, and they want to lower the bar. And, and so you go to these places, and you go to the world, and it requires no change on your part, no effort. And, and God will just accept you as you are. But God makes it pretty clear that it's not something that is so easy for us to transform, into our, transform our lives and be on this path. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 13, and this is why He said it, enter in at the straight gate. That's the difficult gate, straight, difficult. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Why? What, why go in? Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Jesus told us very clearly it's going to be a difficult path, and it will absolutely cost you everything. There's not room on this path for you to bring all your sinful baggage. As you go through, this path gets more and more narrow, and there's only room for your soul to go through. You have to leave it all behind, and you have to give it all up. Jesus says in Luke 19, 23, He said to them, He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Imagine you're on this, this difficult and narrowing path and you're too busy and concentrating on trying to pick up all these pieces and all this luggage and you're trying to make sure that you're taking all your treasures and all the things that you value with you and you're not paying attention and you're squeezing yourself more and more through these walls and you're just suffocating yourself out. The more you try and put effort into saving your life and preserving what you have, the more you're going to lose yourself. But the more you give up these things in our life for the sake of Christ, and you put on Christ, and you become more like Him, and you transform your life, and you put in the effort, and you, and you grow, you're going to save your life. And your life will be much better and much more valuable than all the things that you ever gave up. And so if you want to see real lasting change, it takes steady, consistent action over time. And it's difficult, and it's not easy, and we have to give up what we want and who we, and, and who we want to be in order to become what God wants and what God wants us to be. And it's absolutely possible to change your habits, but it can't occur unless you're serious about the change. You have to be committed. You have to be on board and be serious about the change. James 1 verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't. You can't say, okay, I'm going to decide to follow Christ and change. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm going to go into the world. Okay, I'm going to follow Christ. No, no, I'm not. Because if you don't know which path you're going to walk, you're going to trip all over yourself. You're going to fall down. You're unstable in all your ways. It will cause your life to feel so chaotic if you can't make up your mind. Make up your mind and follow Christ. Be awake to righteousness and put on the armor of light and then you will experience real and lasting change in your life. Stay on the course. 
If, and if you've made that choice, you're here today, you've made that choice, you're going to build the tower. It takes a lifelong effort to build this tower. Don't give up now. You might be hitting some bumps right now. You might be experiencing some problems. But you can't give up now. If you've started this path, you've got to stay committed. Stay committed to this process of transformation. And, and it's just a natural thing. We're going to go through progress, and we're going to experience failures. You're going to experience progress, and you're going to go through failures. Some people give up when that temptation comes. Uh, when that failure occurs, they just totally give up and, and say, you know what, I'm done, and I'm never going to do this anymore. But the key is to learn from those situations and keep moving, keep going. You have to. Don't give up the first time you fail or the sixth time you fail or the 600th time or the 6,000th time. God doesn't want you to give up. And I'll tell you, it's hard and it hurts. But it's absolutely worth what we're working towards. So keep going. Be the, be the kind of person that gets up and keeps going. Proverbs chapter 24, 16. For a just man falls seven, seven times and rises up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, this is talking about calamities that befall a person who is righteous and, and by the hands of the wicked, but it doesn't matter. No matter what kind of obstacles the righteous man, the just man faces, he gets up, he rises up again, and he keeps going. So be the kind of person who's going to get up and keep going. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast. You cling on to this with your dear life the profession of our faith, without wavering. Don't be the, the double-minded person. Be the person who's, who knows what you're hanging on to and following that diligently, without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful that promised these things. He does not waver, and there's no shadow of turning, and He is, he is holy and pure and righteous, and He is committed. And because God is committed to this path, you ought to be committed as well. He wants you to change. He wants you to grow. Even, even through the failures, He wants you to get up and keep going. He doesn't want you to stay down. He doesn't want you to stay stuck. How committed is He to this? How much does He care, really? Well, He was so committed that He died for this. Philippians chapter 2, 7-8. through 8, But He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. God cares so much about you becoming holy. He cares so much about you transforming your life and not being conformed to this world that He came in the form of flesh and He died on a cross, pouring out all His wrath upon that so that you could have hope and light and freedom. That's how much God is committed to this process and that's how committed we ought to, to feel and be and grow into becoming. If we want to be more like Christ, these are the things that are fundamental to bringing about changes that are necessary in our life. Don't stay stuck. You can change. Absolutely you can. But it takes us making the choice. It takes us growing in knowledge. It takes us doing something with that knowledge. And it takes our commitment. You're capable of it. Don't ever let yourself believe that you're not. God doesn't want you to believe that you're not. You can be more like Christ, and you can increase in holiness, but it has to be something you stay committed for. 
And ultimately, I'll tell you, it's, it will be absolutely worth it. It's painful, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But when we win that prize, we won't remember any of the suffering. We won't remember any of the pain. We won't remember any of the difficulties we faced in, in transforming and, and how difficult it was for us to choose that path of righteousness and stay on the path of righteousness. We'll instead rejoice. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, 17, if we're children of God, then we are heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's coming a time, and this is what we're working towards in the transformation. God is going to resurrect our mortal bodies, and we will receive new bodies to be like Christ, truly. And he says, the, the things that we endure in this present time, we're not even going to care. <laughs> They're not going to even be worth comparing to what we're going to receive if we stay on this path and we stay committed to transforming in Christ. I hope that you will make the choice to change if you're stuck. Don't be stuck. Seek the knowledge of God and grow and increase the knowledge. Take action and stay committed. And this is a cycle that repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats, and it's all of your life. It never stops, and it can never stop. If it stops, we die. So keep going on this process. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you this morning. I hope that it, that it fills you with hope. Uh, we, we desperately need that uh, in our world today. And we need to be people who carry that hope to others and let people know that as difficult as it is, it is absolutely possible for change to happen in our lives. If you're struggling this morning, you're a Christian, and you are struggling with some type of sin, and you, are, you just feel beat down, and you feel weighed down, or... It, some kind of problem in your life and you need help that's the great blessing that god gives us as the family of christ we are absolutely family if we're children of god we're, we're brothers and sisters and we are a family here at this congregation and and with the with the brothers and sisters throughout the churches and you should not feel ashamed to come and confess your faults or to ask for help because we want just as god wants we want you to to Feel that freedom. Be like that young man, the prodigal son, and wake up and say, I don't have to stay this way, and I can get help, and I can be on a new path. If you need that, we're here for you, to pray with you, to study with you, to do whatever we can to help you in this transformation. And maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You haven't been baptized into Christ's death. You haven't been buried with Him in baptism and have your sins washed away. You are totally stuck right now in sin, but you don't have to be. You can change, you can grow, you can begin on this path, be born again, and start this process of maturity and experience all the rich blessings that, that God has to offer for us. It is absolutely worth it to make that decision. Um, if there's anybody that needs help, please, won't you come forward as we stand and sing? You can sit on the front here, and we can talk, and we can pray together uh, as we sing here. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.